0: Lord God, we come to you once again during this Advent season, grateful for the opportunity we have to sit at your feet, at your word, and to let it speak new truths to us. Although it's a very familiar text to many of us, Lord, we know that you can mine the depths of Scripture and never completely do so this side of heaven. And I ask, Lord, as we dive into this word, that that would be the case for each and every one of us. That we would see your grace and your truth for what it is good news for each and every one of us take our minds think through them now take my lips and speak through them take our wills and bend them to your own and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son Jesus Christ for it's in his name we pray amen Amen. please be seated throwing that Apostles' Creed in front of the sermon throws a little curveball, doesn't it? <laughs> we, uh, through, throughout our Advent and Lenten liturgies, we go to the older forms of morning prayer and communion from the Reformation period, 1552. And the reason we do that, just to let you know, is to keep our prayer lives, corporate prayer lives fresh so that we're not in a rut because we've all done it, right? You know, you're, you're praying the liturgy, and it's faithful, and we're Anglicans, but you're thinking about something else. But all of a sudden, when it gets changed, you're forced to think about it. All right? And the reason at the Reformation, they put the creed in front of the sermon, is to state as a community, to the pastor, get it right. All right? That's what it's about. It's, this is what we believe now, get it right. And if I don't get it right, you can call the bishop and say, get rid of him, you know. You know, you could. Please don't. <laughs> I love you guys. Uh, but the reality is, it, it's a good way to go through Lent because Lent's the season of expectation, right? We we use the colors blue and we use this expectant uh, it's repentant yet expectant, which is Advent. Because we can't wait for Christmas. You know, Christmas and receiving the gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into our lives, expressed in our physical gifts. You know, I received an early Christmas gift yesterday. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big Army fan. Sorry for my Navy friends. You know, I've always, you know, it was a big thing in my neighborhood growing up. My dad was Army, I lived across from the street from a three star general. You know, and I loved General Kastner. He was a mentor to me in many, many ways, and and so the Army Navy game was huge in my neighborhood. And so I came in from blowing the leaves, and there draped over the, the uh, chair and the kitchen table was a Army Black Knights football hoodie given to me by Kimmy. She said, "Happy game day!" It said, and I go, "Yay!" <laughs> yeah. You know, I love you. It's awesome. Sent my kids a text, and they all text it back, Go Navy. Yeah. Um, uh, smack talk is a Sherman love language. It just is. It's great. I loved it. I loved it. And so um, we, we look forward to celebrating that our Lord has come to rescue us. That's true. But a greater expectation is the Lord is going to take one day return for us. Amen? And when he does, he will give us a new body. And we will live in eternity on the new earth, serving him, serving one another. And we can't even comprehend that truth. It's so amazing. And so that's what we've discovered over the last few weeks, right? Christ the King Sunday. That Jesus is our king, he's our Lord, he's our ruler. And if he's not ruler of our lives, we don't have salvation. You know, and therefore, we come to last week where we focused on on hope Sunday, our ultimate hope that Jesus will return for us. And when He returns, He's not going to return as a baby, He's going to return as that King. Therefore, in our present lives, let's not make Him an option because He is no option, although our world treats Him as such, right? We, followers of Jesus, He's Lord. He knows what he's doing. And so therefore, I walk in that reality. So every day as I get up in the morning and I walk by my study, and I hope you do as well, that study sits there with an invitation from my Heavenly Father saying, meet with me, my son. I got good news to share with you. Come. And you do as well. You know. And so this is, Advent's a time to reconnect with that reality. Okay? So that's what we're doing here. And today we go one step further. I'm reminded of that great concert pianist, Van Cliburn, who said, if I don't rehearse one day, I know it. If I don't practice two days in a row, the music community knows it. And If I don't practice three days in a row, the whole world knows it. I have to prepare. Diligently. Now, we all know what it's like to step forward in front of a group of people not prepared, right? In, in Virginia, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, in fourth grade, it was mandatory that you memorize Patrick Henry's Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech. In fifth grade, you had to memorize the preamble to the Constitution. In sixth grade, you had to memorize Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. I thought that was a good thing. However, in fourth grade, in Mr. Tessier's class, I loved the Maryland Terrapins basketball lefty drizzle. You guys remember that? You know, and so I you know, this time of year football was winding down and basketball was catching up and I could dribble the ball. I was good. And I had a game the night before. I was to give my turn of Patrick Henry's give me liberty or give me death speech. So you can imagine 10-year-old Gene Sherman what he's focused on the night before he's supposed to give the speech, right? Right? So I did what most of my people in my journey group do. We just kind of crammed it in as best as I could, right? And then I stood up in front of 25 kids in my fourth grade class, and they all had done it really well. And I realized, I am toast. <laughs> and so I got about halfway through it. You say some men say peace, peace, when there is no peace. Uh... And then Mr. Tessier says, Gene, you don't know it, do you? No, sir. You see, I was up last night. I had a basketball game. I started laying all my excuses out. And he said, you're going to do it tomorrow. And you're going to get a deduction from your grades. Sit down, young man. And so on the playground, I took it on the chin. And a lot of smack talk from my classmates for being a doofus. (laughs) All right, I own it. But... From that time forward, God used that event in my life to never be unprepared when I'm going to speak publicly. So that's why I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning on Sundays and go over it and over it and over it and over it so I have eye contact. By 11 o'clock, it's pretty good. You guys get the best sermon. All right? And the reality is, to be prepared matters. And we're taking that next step today. Christ the King, our King's returning, and now we're talking about how do we prepare for that King. Turn with me in your Bibles to John, John Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, because we're going to learn, all right, this is not something out in the future, this is something in the present for each and every one of us as we seek to follow Him. Because my future and yours in Jesus Christ is glorious. And what John the Baptist, or baptizer, whatever title you want to give him, informs us, first, that we can flourish no matter what age we live in. Two, God places a call on each and every one of us. And three, we have a message to give to the world. One, we can flourish no matter what age we're in. Two, God places a call on all of us. And three, we have a message to be spoken to our neighbors where we live, work, and play. First, we can flourish no matter what age. Verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea, Trachonitis, Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene, my friends, the first thing that Luke is trying to tell us that John's ministry is thriving in a day when great wickedness prevailed. All right? These opening verses of chapter 3 are a first century hall of fame of bad guys. All right? Tiberius was the Roman emperor who was laissez-faire, he said, let the Senate just run itself. Can you imagine? Let the Senate and Congress just run itself without any checks and balances of our government. Okay? That's what he did. Therefore, there was chaos throughout the Roman Empire. All right? Therefore, Pontius Pilate became the governor of Judea. And we all know how great a governor he was, right? Of all the people in the Scripture, he's the one who sentenced our Lord to the crucifixion. Then listed is Herod and Philip. This is Herod Antipas and Philip, the sons of Herod the Great. They were the puppet kings of the Roman Empire. They let The Roman Empire let the kings rule a little bit as long as they didn't cross Rome too greatly, cause insurrection... They were allowed to rule, and they were just puppets, and they weren't Jews. They weren't followers of God, and their lives showed it. And last but not least, notice that who Luke writes. Annas and Caiaphas are the the head priests of that day, and they're corrupt. You can buy them. These guys are infamous villains, and so... The people living under such government, both church and state, or in that day, temple and state, obviously felt the effects of such poor leadership. But that's the point. John's ministry flourishes with those guys in leadership. God's ways are not our ways. And so don't let the darkness of our day or any day affect your discipleship, affect your walk with the Lord. Their behavior does not dictate our behavior, and therefore, where we live and work and play, we will be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, from 99 to 2003, me and my classmates at Trinity School for Ministry were quite bemoaning, as many of us were, what was going on in the Episcopal Church. We were losing ground An influence in the church at that time, and Les Fairfield was the history professor, and he taught with his glasses at the end of his nose like this. And Les just starts. We're bemoaning the current state of affairs, and he just starts to laugh and goes, (laughs) "Ladies and gentlemen, the church has been in a lot worse places. Take heart, have courage, and be faithful." I think that's good advice, my friends, because we're called to faithfulness, not success in ministry. So let's pray for revival. Love the Lord, love one another, using our giftedness faithfully. For as we learned last week, Jesus can turn the darkest times into the brightest day. The second thing Luke teaches us through the ministry of John the Baptist is that there's a call on us all. Verse 2. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Luke informs us that the word of God came to John. Alright? The word of God. This is a special call that he has from God to begin his preaching and teaching ministry. So this is, this is for both the ordained and the lay people here. A calling is a message from God that's internally impulsed of the heart, felt, but it's also confirmed by the body of Christ. All right. And Luke throws a great light, especially on the office of all ministers of the gospel, both professional and lay here, because... No one has the right to just call themselves a preacher-teacher unless, one, they have an inner call from God that's confirmed by the body of Christ. Okay? We don't live isolated lives in the church. And we've discovered over the past uh, 10, 15 years in the Anglican Church of North America, a lot of people have been ordained from other denominations who always wanted to be an Anglican. And so they came into the Anglican Church of North America... Because they liked to pray the Book of Common Prayer morning office, you know? They wanted to celebrate communion, la-di-da. They wanted to wear the fancy clothes, I don't know. But they haven't borne much fruit. As a matter of fact, they've made us look bad throughout the Midwest, quite honestly. And many of them aren't even in ministry anymore. Visions, gifts of knowledge must be checked by the greater body and the ministry must be confirmed by the local body. And so, as an effort to clean this up, the ACNA has has ordained different ministries among us. Therefore, there's not just bishops, priests, and deacons, there's also lay leaders. We used to call them lay catechists, but you know, the culture doesn't know what a catechist is. What's a catechist? You know? And so they've, they've changed it to lay leader. And so if a person feels the call to the priesthood, the first thing the bishop's gonna say, what mission shaped community have you led and has it borne fruit? You know? So what we do is we're developing, you'll hear me use this term a lot for the next 19 years mission shaped community. Because this is how we're gonna reach the community, friends. It's just loving our neighbors, reaching out. Through the mission-shaped communities and having lay leadership within that community spring to the surface. And so we have lay leaders, deacons, priests, and a lay leader can stay a lay leader. And a lay leader can even go plant a church. You You don't have to have a collar on in order to do it. So the reality is God calls and God's people confirm. And that also works for the laity as well. For example... Some of you may well remember certain individuals of our body who felt really called to sing and give their solos for the congregation, which edified no one. All right? Just because Aunt Bessie loves to sing He Lives doesn't mean it ought to be offered as a solo at the offertory for God's people. Right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. You all right? It was awful, you know. And the point is, use your gifts. We all have gifts to be used, but it's also confirmed by the body. And as everybody uses their gifts, the body operates well. God used John and his gifts of preaching and teaching, and he did it in a particular mode known as baptism. But we all have gifts to offer as well. Let's look at baptism. Baptism wasn't a new practice for the Jews, quite frankly. Leviticus 11, Numbers 19. What happened was if a Jew had, was unclean or had some type of defilement, they were going to be baptized before they went to the temple. And Gentiles were baptized in order to be Jewish converts. You had to go through an extensive ritual baptism in order to... To become an authentic, genuine Jew if you're not from the Jewish tradition. And so, what John was saying in doing this practice to the Jewish people was what? You are unclean. You are like the Gentile dogs. You must go through, where is he baptizing? The Jordan River through the waters of the Jordan, just like our ancestors did, crossing the Jordan into the promised land, you must be clean before the God. Repent and believe. And an amazing number of people did, as we will talk about next week. Stay tuned. And so the third point of this passage that Luke is teaching us through John's ministry is that the message we carry forth is as John's, That true repentance is the message for the forgiveness of sins. True repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Those aren't my words. Those are John's. Verse 3. And he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? Baptism is a symbol of genuine repentance. We go down to the water to die to ourselves, right? And we come up in the victory of Jesus Christ, cleansed from our sins. That's what baptism is to be. It's a sacrament, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace that God has already done in the person, all right? So the person professes faith in Christ, they grow in their faith in Christ, and in a, their first act of obedience publicly is to be baptized. Now, what do we do with babies? Because we believe in covenant children. Okay, well, the parents need to demonstrate that, right? The parents demonstrate the discipleship promises that they make in baptizing those babies, and then that baby is baptized. But what do we do with that? parent who hasn't been in church for a year and says I want to put my kid in a fancy little gown and dress and be baptized this church used to say well okay here's what you need to believe here's what we believe do you believe it oh yeah I believe it alright you're going to walk in these promises oh yeah I'll walk in the promises then they get the kid baptized and what do they do see ya Right? We've seen that in baptisms, we've seen it in first communions, and we've seen it in confirmations. So another initiative the Anglican Church in North America has done is with things that parents initiate, like baptism, first communion, and even confirmation. By the time a kid is ready to be confirmed, it shouldn't be the parent coming to me, it should be the kid, the teenager. All right? So from here on, hear me, parents and grandparents, kid wants to be confirmed, you have them come, to, come talk to me. Or talk to a person on the vestry, because they're elders. And we will say, we would love to present you for confirmation. And then we walk through the promises. And we'll do the same thing with First Communion. And we'll do the same thing with baptisms. And then we're going to say, if they haven't been here, we'll say, walk with Jesus with us. Is that mean spirited? I don't think so. That's called true biblical Christianity. But here's the result. It's just like our weddings. I haven't done a wedding in years. I haven't. Why? Because people, young people don't want to walk in the covenant. Well, if parents want to baptize their children, walk with us for a while. But that's biblical Christianity, and 20 years from now, we're going to be a healthier community for it, ladies and gentlemen. Because the message is, what? Baptism for the repentance of sins. You know? Therefore, without repentance... There's no forgiveness. On the other hand, we must bear in mind that no amount of repentance can make atonement, because you can fake it, right? You know? No amount of sin, repentance can make atonement for sin. You can go through the various actions, but only by the blood of Jesus Christ can truly wash away my sin. That must be understood. For we have many in our culture who will go through the motions if we allow it. But without genuine repentance, no one is ever saved. We must be at war with our sin, says Bishop J.C. Ryle. We must abhor it. We must attack it. We must forsake it. And yet, rest in God's grace in Jesus alone. Because, you know, we're saved by God's grace alone. We're sanctified by God's grace alone as well. It's not about being perfect people, right? Repeat after me. There's no perfect people here. Thank you. Because that's what sanctification is. You know, we're growing. We're all at different stages, but we're growing together as a body of Christ. But as Bishop Rouse says, saved souls are penitent souls. Happy Advent 2018. That's what we're doing. Just going after it. So Luke closes this. Stating Isaiah 40, it's beautiful. Here's who John the baptizer is. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain hill and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You know, because when you really prepare, it's like a personal spiritual construction project. And some of the habits which we've developed over our lives are kind of like hills. And they're pretty quickly leveled. But others are kind of like mountains. And some of them may be like the Rockies or the Grand Tetons in Wyoming. All right? And it might take even a lifetime. But if you're truly repentant, you're truly forgiven. And you run from it. Because that's what repentance is. Lord, forgive me. And I turn to him. And follow him. Because what's happening here, Luke is quoting Isaiah 40. And Luke replaces that highway with the crooked shall become straight. In Isaiah 40, if you read it, it's the highway. But he's saying the crooked, the individual. It's, it's a... It's a fascinating change that Luke does there. That the crooked shall become, meaning Jesus is Lord. He, this John the Baptizer is the voice crying in the wilderness calling us now to the Messiah, to the one who's about to come. And the crooked shall become straight because God has come to our rescue in Jesus Christ. And notice in verse 6, all human beings will benefit from this great gift. Verse 6. All flesh shall behold this. Now. Today. Prepare. So some questions as you walk away for Sunday dinner today. Are you ready to meet this king? I'm not talking just about Christmas. Christmas. Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat. Sure. Great. That sounds fun. But he's going to come again. He's not going to be an option. He's already not an option, but let's recognize him not as such, first of all. And so if we are ready for him to do business with our lives and lay the hills and Tackle the mountains for us as we grow in him this Advent season. Great. Just continue, my friends. Go to the the realm. Download the devotions that we've listed for you guys. Get involved. Come ring the bells with us. Come caroling with us this afternoon at Independence Village. It's going to be a blast. But you know, if not, if you're hiding something, you can't escape this, God. There's no way you can run. Why not? You're not hiding. And he's coming. I want to encourage you. And if, you, if you're if you wrestling with something that's too big of a mountain, come talk to me after the service. I'm here for any questions that you may have, as well as prayer, so that we may see the Holy Spirit bring healing and wholeness to the person. And so in closing, when you think of Advent and you think of this kind of preparation, think of it like a tire change. Everyone should know how to change a tire, right? We all have taught our kids how to change the tire on their cars, right? If you haven't, please do so. Um, imagine this morning the, the, the tire on my truck. I drove my, my 2010 Ford Ranger. I love that truck, all right? Um, drove a Ford Ranger. Let's say I, I got a flat tire, and I'm, I'm, I pulled over, and I changed it, put the spare on and and threw it in the back of the truck and then I left it there all week. Okay? But then, you know, I didn't think to have that spare fixed at discount tire. You know, and I thought to myself, I'll get around to it. A few days later, you're at 11 o'clock service and you go, where's Gene? He's changing his tire. My friends, don't wait until you need it and then you won't have it. Prepare today so that John's message to us, that we can flourish in our walk with Jesus right now, no matter our days. Walk in the giftings with one another so that this message of repent and believe will not only reside in our lives, but those around us where we live, work, and play for his honor and glory for years to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this day and we're grateful that you have called us to this wonderful truth that we can flourish in our walk with you no matter how dark the days are. And Lord, we each of us have received a call from God to walk in it. Lord, help us to own it, to walk in it, and to follow you together. And as we do so, May we truly take this message or repent and believe and follow you in community and not in isolation, which is a bizarre concept. Lord, thrive in us as we follow you this Advent season. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.